Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. That when we slow ourselves down for a minute, we get past all the tension that that we bring into our lives that cause us to be frustrated or or act out of uh, what we actually want to be. When we really get settled, Father, we know you only to have been faithful to us. Where, Father, have you let us down? Where has your hand been short? Where have you stood too far away, Father? We can't find those moments. And, Father, we are encouraged today that we're not left to find you on our own. Not at all. You're near. So, Father, today, over the next half hour, we ask that you would slow us down. And God, every distraction that we came here with today, take it away for at least a little bit. And let us hear from you. Let us see what you're like, God. I pray, I ask God to let us see what you are like, that it might satisfy our souls and set us free. And lift us up and bring us peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25 is where we are. Last week was chapter 24 with the renewal of the covenant. So today we look at chapter 25 and Exodus is about to get very technical. Uh, It's never good or right for us to be a judgmental people. We are not to be judgmental. I think that you know that. Perhaps you struggle with it. We're not to be judgmental. You're especially not to be judgmental to people based off of stereotypes. You should not be judgmental to people that you don't know. It is, it is, it is even worse, maybe doubly wrong, for you to be judgmental over somebody that you don't know, you've just lumped them into a category where the stereotype t- tells you that that's the way it is. We don't want to be that. And yet this is the problem. It happens. And it shouldn't be the case. It's unfair to deal with somebody based off of what they actually are. And y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You ever heard somebody talk about the East End? You ever heard somebody talk about the East End? Have you ever lived out there and worked among them and lived among them and spent time with them and had some good friends? You ever been in their home? You ever had coffee for breakfast with them or ever grilled out steaks with them? Well, if you haven't, then maybe it's not fair for us to say that. Or you ever heard somebody talk about the West End? Oh, yeah, we talk about the West End. We hear people talk about the West End. You ever lived over there, spent time with them or grilled out with them or played in the yard with them or babysitted their kids or anything like that? Probably not, but we got our opinions about it. Form your opinion based off a whole side of town, based off of the, the news clips. That seems to be a little bit unfair, I would think. We don't want to be judgmental to people based off very little that we know. Or what about this? You ever heard somebody talk about Fairdale? You ever heard somebody from downtown or Indiana talk about Fairdale? I've heard all, all types of them. And I've lived here now about 10 years, and I, I want to say, y'all, y'all been so good to me and my family. We're thrilled to 
to live here and raise our kids here and walk down the street. And I remember one time I heard somebody uh, bad mouth in our, our, our gas station. And I said, I, I love that gas station. My, my wife takes a walk with the kids to the gas station on a regular basis to buy them uh, uh, slushies. That gas station never been nothing but good to us. And, and you see what I'm saying? Whether it's us about them or them about us, when somebody talks about us or judges us without knowing us, it's not right. It's just you shouldn't go there. And that, that's for anybody, right? Every one of y'all got your own opinion about Bobby Petrino or John Calipari, but you never met them. Now, I will say they kind of threw themselves out there with some stuff that's happened, but still, you never met them. They probably pick up the tab for you. They probably speak well of you. They probably give you a recommendation. And we don't want to be those type of people that are that way. Now, why? Why does that happen? Well, because once you get to know somebody, you will see them and understand them in a completely different perspective. You ever heard the saying, well, put yourself in their shoes. And once you finally are in that person's shoes, oh, it's quite a bit different. Quite a bit different. Once you put yourself in their shoes. See, you might would say that we're really unable to have an opinion unless we have first seen things the way they see them. Right? You ever heard somebody say, well, you know, I'm not sure. Never met them. That's a good, honest statement. What do you think about this? I don't know. Never, never read it. What do you think about this? I've never been there. What do you think about the East End? I, you know, I've never really spent much time out there. What do you think about the West End? I don't know. Never been there. And see, it's good for us to kind of have that idea, which I think is a mature answer that says, I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what, what, what they're like. I, I don't know why they're that way. I haven't really spent enough time around them. Now, I want to say two things. When it comes to God, how in the world, realistically, are you going to have opinions on God if you don't know what He's like? If you never spend any time with Him? Or you've never listened to Him? And the world is full of all these opinions on God. We have no idea. Where do those opinions come from? I don't know. It's just, it's just the way I feel. <laughs> well, here's what I think. And people say that stuff all the time. Well, where'd that come from? I don't know. Now, if we don't like that to be said about Fairdale because they've never been to Fairdale, then we sure better not like it being said about God if you've never been around God. So for a second, let's, let's pull back all these ideas that we have about God. Or, what about God to us? Is it part of the reason that people talk bad about God is because they think that God is way up there being judgmental toward us? And sadly enough, there's a lot of people that have presented God that way. The Bible doesn't. The Bible gives us an idea of God that is just the real deal. See, once you start to, to get around the people and, and intermingle and become one of them and, and get your feet wet and get some experience and rub elbows or whatever, then you're able to speak into it. 
We've heard a lot about how nice the KFC Yum Center is. And everybody knows that the KFC Yum Center is the top-notch, best college basketball arena that there is in the country. It's awesome. And you've heard that, you've read that, the news tells us that, and everybody knows about it. But it doesn't mean anything until you've been there. And once you've been there, you're still like, wow. I've seen so many pictures of the Grand Canyon. Everybody loves to talk about the Grand Canyon. It is surely something you've got to see. Best thing ever. That's all everybody talks about it. Amazing. I've never been there. But if I ever do get to go, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to be blown away. Because experiencing something is so much better than hearing about it and trying to form an opinion. Hearing about something, whether it's right or wrong or not, and forming an opinion just doesn't cut it. And I want us to be a people who are that way to God, but much better. Because, see, today's not about that. Today is learning that God is that way. Folks, God is not sitting up there with an opinion of you without knowing you. He's not. And Exodus 25 is going to show us that. I'm going to give you three points today. Number one, God's people are givers. Number two, there's a right way to do things. And number three, God desires to dwell with his people. God's people are givers. Number two, there's a right way to do things. And number three, God desires to dwell with his people. Read with me, if you will, at Exodus chapter 25. We're going to start with the first nine verses. Exodus 25, the first nine verses. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and Fine twined linen and goat's hair and tanned ram's skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast piece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. It's an awesome passage. God has just renewed the covenant. He is, you know, leading them now to the promised land. Let's don't forget that they were just in slavery. Let's not forget that, that, that life was awful for them. The Egyptians had them captured. It was no good. They were upset. They were miserable. God sets them, three, sets them free through the, through the ten plagues with Pharaoh. And now he is leading them out. He has guarded them with a pillar of cloud. Uh, by day and pillar of fire by night. God is protecting them and he's there with them. But now in chapter 24, we talked about last week, he's renewed his covenant relationship with them. He's going to be their God and they're going to be his people. And now here we go. And now he's starting chapters 25 to 31. And then especially chapters 25, all the way to the end of the book, chapter 40, God is explaining how their worship to him, because that's what the whole relationship of God is about, is worship to God. How their worship to him is going to happen. Now, I, I, I don't want to get there yet, but I, I just want you to hear that worship to God cannot be just whatever. It can't be. My first point today is that God's people are givers. God is setting up a sanctuary, a tabernacle, if you will. He's going to tell them how to build it. But here's what he says to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, verse one, speak to the people of Israel that they, that they take for me a contribution. 
God is giving the people of Israel an opportunity to be givers in what he is doing. They are going to be building and setting up a tabernacle, a sanctuary, a tent, a place where they can come and worship God, where God can come and dwell there and they can be around the glory of God so that they can have a relationship with him. And God is saying they can be involved in giving to it. And I want to remind you here today. That everywhere we go in the Bible, we are seeing that God makes His people givers. That God expects His people to be givers. We are taught in the New Testament that we are not to be those who give grudgingly. People are to be cheerful givers because God is a giver. The Bible teaches us that God has everything and yet God gives us what we need. Even as Jennifer just saying, he always gives me exactly what I need. Now, I'm not good at understanding what I need, but whatever God knows I need, he is giving that to me. The Bible says he's never giving us too much to spoil us. But the Bible also says that God is never going to give us too little to where we will be in harm. He knows how to provide for us. He shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God is a giver. And Paul in Acts chapter 20, quoting Jesus, says that Jesus Christ himself is quoted to have said that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Yet every single one of us would jump at the opportunity to get something for free. We want to get, 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 get. We love the idea of getting things. But yet God is teaching us that really life's about giving. And I'm going to ask you if you understand this from the scriptures. Now, notice it doesn't have to be giving of money. Everybody's blessed a little bit different. Some of y'all can be giving away clothes. Some of y'all can be giving away money. Some of y'all work a lot. You can be giving away money for sure. But some of y'all can be giving away your time, giving away your energy. And here he says, uh, let the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. And he explains it like this. From every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. Then he gives this big list of all these different things that can be included inside the sanctuary, inside the tabernacle, things that are needed. Some of it's worth a lot. Some of it's wood, some of it's skin, some of it's oils, some of it's uh, precious metals. All kinds of different stuff. But God is saying, yeah, y'all can be involved with this. We're building this big tabernacle sanctuary. You can be involved with it. I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you if giving is a part of your life. It's a category. You love to give. Maybe you love to open your home. Maybe you love to give your time. Maybe you love to give people rides. Maybe you love to give people food. Are you a giver? Is part of your life, when you sit down and think about who you want to be and what you're going to do with your time, or what you're going to do with your Friday nights or your Saturdays that are all to you, is giving factored in? Have you made any adjustments so that you could give? Or do you just quickly, I mean, as soon as I said my first point, default to, well, we can't give. we got, got too much going on, don't have enough time, already burn out, no money, bills stacking up. And you just push away giving. You ever thought, make about, making, you ever thought about making some adjustments so that you could just be a giver? Doesn't it, doesn't it mean something when somebody gives you something? See, God expects us to be this way. When somebody is a giver to you, all of a sudden there seems to be a, 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 a sincerity in the relationship. I remember this man that I met when I was in college. 
He had a good job. He drove a BMW. It was super nice. I liked him. And then the next year when I saw him, true story, he was driving an old Taurus. Nothing against Tauruses, but it's not a BMW. And he comes into our class and he says, guys, I just want to tell you all, you notice I'm driving something much different now. He said, my wife and I, through reading our Bibles, came to the realization it's awesome to give. There's rewarding in it. It reflects God. It, it opens the door for us to have so many relationships with people. Now, let's be honest. If you've got nicer stuff than everybody, and you kind of act like it, it's kind of hard to have some relationships, isn't it? Let's be honest. It really is. If you've got worse stuff than everybody, it's pretty easy. He said, my, my wife and I came to the realization that God's all about giving. We read our Bible, we find it in the New Testament, we find it in the Old Testament, we find it, that's what God's like. And, and yet we sing, we say, we pray, God, make me like you. And so God just convicted us. We keep saying, God, make me a giver. But he's not going to just like dump load more and more and more stuff on you so you can maybe give some of the surplus. God convicted us to find a way to give. He said, so we sold those nice cars, downgraded big time. Our cars are paid off. We don't have any monthly payment. And now the money we make puts us in position to be a giver. I want to ask you if you ever think about giving. I want to ask you if you struggle to have any relationships where they say, man, you're a blessing. I want to ask you if there's anybody who recently has, has written you a note or given you a phone call or, or just given you a hug and said, I'm so thankful for you. You have blessed my life. When's the last time somebody, and I don't mean just money. When's the last time somebody hugged you or sent you an email or a Facebook, whatever you call those, post status letter that said, I just want you to know how thankful I am for you. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't even be making it. You've supported me, you've loved me, you've built me up, you've encouraged me, so forth. Folks, when we, when we learn to give, we're in position to be that type of person. We're in position to say, here's why I give. We're in position to say, God gives. We reflect God. God, God's people are givers. Here, when he's talking about the sanctuary, he says, my people can have contributions. They can give contributions, and here's what they can give. It goes beyond that. Secondly, there's a right way to do things. There's a right way to do things. Now, I know for many of you, you're thinking, yeah, duh. Of course there is. If you've got a good grandpa, I'm sure he's always told you there's a right way to do things. My dad is so committed to doing things the right way that he has chewed me out so many times when I do things half, halfway. My dad's all about doing it the right way. You don't leave something undone. If I mowed the grass and left those grass clippings on the driveway without blowing them off or sweeping them off, it would have been a worse day for me. If I took out the trash and didn't put a clean bag back in the can, bad day for me. You don't do things like that, my dad would say. And I want you to see that the God is teaching us in the Bible that there's a, there's a right way to do things. Especially in regards to the religious life. 
Notice here in the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, how detailed God's about to get on all of this stuff. Chapter 25, you have the Ark of the Covenant. Let me just read to you a little bit. I'm not going to bore you too much, but listen to this. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cu- it doesn't even say wood. It has to be a specific kind of wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold. Inside and outside shall you overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on the one side of it. Two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put it into the ark, the testimony that I shall give you. Then you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half. And he goes on and on and on. Very particular, very particular. And that's just a little bit. You go over to verse 23 and it's the table for bread. Very detailed. You go down to verse 31, it's the golden lampstand. You go to chapter 26 and it's the tabernacle. And you go to 27, it's the bronze altar. Uh, 27 verse 9, the court of the tabernacle. 27, 20, oil for the lamp. And then chapter 28 starts the priest's garments. And the next thing you know, you're thinking, my goodness, God is strict and God is very particular and it's his way and he wants all that. And what I want you to see, okay, is that God is teaching a lesson here. God is demonstrating to them several things, but one, there's a right way to do things. If God is going to set up a place on earth where people can come and dwell with him, where people can know and understand him, then it is going to be done the way he does it. Can you imagine if he just said, y'all set up your own place? Have you ever heard somebody who's not really spiritual talk about their spiritual life? It is seriously all over the place. It has no real sustenance to it. It's got no real substance to it. It's got no real meaning to it. It's all over the place. And you think, well, I I appreciate that coming from a good heart, but where in the world did you get that from? We cannot define what our religious life is like. There's a right way to do things. God is telling Moses and therefore the people of Israel, I'm coming to dwell among you and you will know me, be loved by me. I will speak to you and you will worship me. But it can only be based off of how God says to do it. Are we so prideful to think? Well, I don't care what God says about God. I'm more into what I say about God. Do we really think that way? Surely that's wrong. And you know that there's a right way to do things. The other night, there were a couple of young people hanging out at, at our house, Val and I's, and they, they work at Dairy Queen. And I thought it was humorous, but they got an argument over how you're to make a, a cheeseburger at Dairy Queen. And one person was just saying, no, nah, you put the, the, the ketchup and the mustard and the onion and the lettuce, tomato, you just smack it all on there. As long as you got it closed, you wrap it up, it's good. And the person's like, no, you don't. That's not how we make it. That's not how we were taught to make it. You've got to put this on there. Then you've got to put this on there. Then you put that on there. And then you put this on there. And some stuff goes on the top bun and some stuff goes on the bottom bun. And they're in this big argument over it. One person said, well, you're not listening to the way you were taught. Right? That's a pretty good argument. If the boss says, here's how they're supposed to be, then guess what? Here's how they're supposed to be. And if the boss knew that some fool was thinking, I don't really care how you put it together. I'm just going to throw it together and wrap it all up. Then you're letting the company down. 
And I'm going to be so mad when I go through the drive-thru and open up my burger and ketchup spills all over my pants. There's a right way to do things, is there not? Is there not? Yes. And that goes for procedures at your school. That goes for driving on the interstate. We were coming back yesterday from the state fair. By the way, hottest I've ever been in my life. I bet I weigh 20 pounds less right now from all the sweat yesterday. We came back on, on Taylor Boulevard yesterday and we got up there right by Hazelwood Elementary School and that, that intersection is a little bit tough. There's not a turning lane there. And I know y'all dealt with that a thousand times in your life. It's down by the other Dairy Queen, actually. And the person in front of us thought there was a turning lane there. So we pull up to the double yellow line and it's two lanes here and two lanes here. And the car in front of us just went. And it was in the other part of the road with their left turn signal on, thinking that that was the turning lane. I said, Val, it's not a turning lane. And as soon as this light turns green, these two cars are going to come straight at that car. They just sat there waiting on it. But once it turned green, those two cars pulled up, and all of a sudden they saw they couldn't. They started honking the horn and flashing their lights, and the person was like, you know, what are you doing? And then it finally dawned on them, something ain't right. So they took off, ran a red light to get through it, but that was better than sitting on the wrong side of the road. And I was reminded, like I was thinking about this, there's a right way to do things. I don't know where you, came, where you come from or what you're thinking, but folks, when it comes to life, when it comes to spiritual life, when it comes to God, there's a, there's a right way and there's a wrong way. Honestly. And the only way that we can know the right way is how God has explained it. If you're trying to Understand God based off of you, that, then you're not trying to understand God. You're trying to understand you. You're trying to explain you. You're trying to justify you. You're trying to make sense to you. But if you really want to understand God, then give God the benefit of the doubt that He's explained Himself. There's a right way to do worship. There's a right way to understand God in holiness. There's a right way to understand sin before God. And it's not, no big deal. It's not, hey, nobody's perfect. It's not, hey, we're all human. It's not little stuff like that. It's not, hey, everybody makes mistakes. It's not, well, I'm not as bad as you are. God has told us that it is a All out looking to him with, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Is the true all out confession before God that says, God, in front of your holiness, I've messed up. And I come to you saying, I've sinned. There's a right way to do life. There's a right way to do spiritual life. And see, sometimes we are so caught up in being aware of everybody else's stereotypes either toward us or from us, or everybody else's, and God have mercy upon us, everybody else's judgmental attitudes against us, and so much of who we are is a reaction, thinking that somebody's judging us, or knowing that somebody's judging us, that we cannot get to the place where we can just say, I'm doing right, or I'm not doing right. Some of us are desiring to do right, but we're so caught up in everybody else pushing us with their desires. 
right or wrong. And some of us can't even get to desiring to do things the right way because we're so bothered and held back by what everybody else is thinking, or at least what we think everybody else is thinking. In the book of Exodus, chapter 25, God is God to his people. He's going to lead them to the promised land. He'll come and dwell among them. He's going to be worshipped by them, but only if this is worship the way he has said it. Look at verse 9. Exactly. You see that word? Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Think God's concerned about doing things the right way? Yeah. Not because he's some strict judgmental God, but because it is worship to him. You can't come at this casually. You can't come at this wrongly. You can't come at this in your pride. You can't come at this in your sins. Not repentant, not seeking forgiveness and mercy. There's a right way to do this. He says to Moses, I'm going to show you how to build a tabernacle and you're going to do it exactly the way I tell you to. God's people are givers. Number two, there's a right way to do things, especially when it comes to religion. Now, I want to remind you that we're not these Jewish people trying to live by the Old Testament law without the idea of grace and forgiveness. I've already said that. Listen to John Calvin speaking upon this passage. This indeed must be remembered That the Jews did not pay attention to the legal sacrifices in vain since the promises were annexed to them. As often, therefore, as you hear these sentences, your iniquity shall be blotted out. You shall appear before my face. I will hear you. I will hear you from the sanctuary. All things that God has said to his people. We are reminded that all the ancient figures to all this detailed stuff were sure testimonies of God's grace and of his eternal salvation. And thus Christ was represented in them. Jesus Christ represented here. Since all the promises are in him. Yes and amen. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20. In other words. When we read something like this. We are not to be these people who are thinking, oh, God is this God who is being all strict to me and there's no way I can live up to him and think that way without understanding God being that way in light of who Jesus is. In which Jesus has come and fulfilled all of this detailed, exact precision from God. Jesus has lived a life for us. Jesus has lived sinlessly. And Jesus has satisfied God in his holiness. Listen to me. And Jesus has satisfied God in suffering punishment, judgment, wrath, hatred of sin for us. And so there need not be any human being on the planet, none living in Fairdale, none of you who would stand before God and say, you're nothing but a mean, strict, wrathful God toward me because Christ has taken that for us. 
And the right way to do things in worshiping God is to say, God, I can't live up to you, but my Lord Jesus has. And now I look to Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. And because of him, God, you love me. And even with all my sins and my shortcomings, God, you will forgive me of my sins based off what Jesus did. And you do not view me or judge me anymore based off what I've done. That's why the Bible, Bible says we are clothed in his righteousness. We are washed in his blood. We are, we are clothed in his white pureness. That's what the Bible says. And so please don't hear in the book of Exodus this stuff. Now, does it tell us about God and his holiness and his desire? Yes. But as the commentator pointed out, we are to see all of this represented in Christ. Lastly, God desires to dwell with his people. God desires to dwell with his people. Look there at verse eight. After uh, six verses of listing the contributions. In verse eight, he says, and let them make me a sanctuary. This is the same word as tent, as tabernacle, some of the others. He says, let them make me a sanctuary. So notice, God's people are building a place for God to come. You get that? Why? The quiz says there next. That I may dwell in their midst. I want you to know that in the Bible, it's always this way. It's always God being the initiator. It always is. It's always God being the one coming to us. It's God coming to dwell with us. Here we have my third point, that God desires to dwell in their midst. Folks, do you understand that it is the farthest thing from the truth when we see God as distant? Leave that for all the man-made religions. God's not distant. He's not out there. He's not far off. There is no reason why anybody should be uh, confused on on what he thinks or what he feels. No, he's come. That's why I opened with all of that judgment, uh, getting around the east end, getting around the west end, getting in Fairdale before you make an opinion on it. Because our opinions of God don't need to be distant because he came. And God's opinions of us cannot be off because he knows us. He desires To dwell among us. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I want you to turn there. Normally I say don't turn there, but right now I'm asking you to turn there. John's the fourth book of the New Testament. Should be able to find John. I want you to look at chapter 1. We have this same idea. God desires to dwell with his people. And what we have there in the book of Exodus with the tabernacle as a place was certainly just a temporary place and was certainly just a shadow of a real dwelling. A a sometimes dwelling is not what it means to be a worshiper of God truly and fully. The book of Hebrews that I looked at last week, specifically chapter nine, explains this, that all of those things weren't able to do it fully. Christ fulfills all of them. At John chapter one, look at verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was God in the beginning. He was in the beginning with God. 
The word is Jesus. Verse three, all things were made through him. The word is the creator. And without him was not anything made that was made. He's created everything in him was life. That's Jesus. And the life was the light of men. That's Jesus, the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus cannot be overcome by the darkness. He is a bright shining light that is contributing to the world. Now jump down to verse 14. Still talking about the word, which is God and the word, which is Jesus. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Do you see that? Exodus 25, 8 says that I may dwell in your midst. John chapter one, verse 14 says that God in the, became flesh. That's Jesus and dwelt among us. This word dwelt means came and pitched his tent. The word dwelt means he came and set up his tent. I don't know if you've ever been camping before, but if you go camping with people, you are definitely strengthening that relationship. You see what they're like at night. You see what they look like when they wake up. You see what they're like when they ain't taking a bath. You see what they like when they ain't brushed their teeth. You see how they are when they smell like a campfire. You, you, you see if they snore. You see how they handle mosquitoes. You see all that kind of stuff when you go camping with somebody. And this right here says that God in the flesh, Jesus, came and pitched his tent among us. He came to dwell among us. One preacher says that the God who is invisible became visible. The God who was way up there came way down here. And the God who is eternal became external. Eugene Peterson, I love this quote, says Jesus came to our neighborhoods. He camped on our corners and he walked up and down our streets. He knows what human life is like. He hung out with some prostitutes. He sat at the well and he got thirsty. He went to the sick people's house. He hung around the rich tax collectors. There's not an experience in life that he hasn't dealt with. The Bible says that Jesus has been tempted in every single way that you and I have been tempted. He knows what this life is about. You're not going to find Jesus sitting down here in Fairdale saying, well, those East Enders are that way. you're not going to see Jesus sitting downtown saying, I ain't never going to Fairdale. I ain't nothing but a bunch of fill in the blanks. And, and he's not like that. He's been there. He knows what it's like. He's human. Ralph West, one of my favorite preachers, says, we no longer have to go looking for how God looks. We meet him in the person of Jesus Christ. In Exodus 25, verse 8, as they are learning to be the people of God, they are uh, understanding what it means to worship as God is explaining to them worship. The New Testament uh, gives that to us in a much fuller sense that when Jesus came to earth, which we're talking about the incarnation at Christmas, when God became a baby and was born of the Virgin Mary, when that happened, we now had God on earth. And the Bible teaches us that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. If you jump down to John chapter one, verse 18, it says no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. One of my favorite things in the Bible is that John 1:18, where it says Jesus has explained what God is like. To talk about God apart from Jesus is to misunderstand what God is like. Folks, I want you to know that whether you're in Exodus, the beginning of the Old Testament, whether you're in John, the beginning of the New Testament, no matter where you are, the point of the Bible is that we can know God. We can be close to him. The Bible calls Jesus a friend of sinners. At Exodus 25, verse 11, it says, Moses would talk to God 
as one talks to their friend. Because God would come and dwell among them. See, when you get around somebody, you start spending time with them, your opinion of them is going to change. For better or for worse, but it's going to change. And God has come to us so that we may not be confused. We can know what He's like. Folks, God knows what you're going through. He sent Jesus to be one of us so He could die on the cross for us. I'll close with this story. A good buddy of mine told me a story one time of they went and picked up their kids on the last day of school, last day of the school year, which that's a long way from now. And as they were riding home, they were saying, was it a good year? Yeah, it was a good year. Did you like it? Yeah. Are you glad you're now going into the fourth grade? Yeah, we're going into fourth grade. He said, well, let me ask you this. Who was your favorite teacher all year? Different teachers in the class, the library, the PE, the, the wherever. Who was your favorite teacher all year? And they said, oh, my, my teacher is this fifth on the carpet squares. My carpet square teacher. And the parents in the front seat of the car were like, what do you mean? What, what's their name? And they're like, I, I don't know her name. We just call her the carpet square teacher. So she's your favorite teacher? Teacher you hung out with the most? The one that you enjoyed the most this year? But you don't know her name? No, we don't know her name. Well, what did you call her? I just called her a carpet square teacher. It's okay. But then when they got home, he started asking a little bit more. You know what he found out? He said that a lot of teachers at school are good. They either stand up when they read or sit down in their chair when they read. But their fourth grader had one teacher. Did a story time, we'll pull out a carpet square. We'll sit down on the floor with the kids. Sit Indian style, cross-legged. The teacher got among them. And to that student, didn't even remember the name. But sure remember that that person came and got on their level. Folks, if your opinion of God is that he's not on your level or that you're not on his, and I tell you with all humility, then you don't know him. He loves you. He sent his son to know all about you. And to die in your place so that you don't have to. The Bible says that if you would repent of your sins and believe in him, that even when you do die, you'll live forever. God will dwell among his people. We will be givers. We will desire to worship him the right way. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we do love you. We thank you for the Lord Jesus who makes it possible for you to dwell among us permanently. That we can know you. Father, thank you that even in the book of Exodus, Exodus we are seeing you say, and I will dwell in the midst of my people. Oh, Father, move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.